This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Y'all ever had the wrong opinion about something? You know, I mean, it's it's not, ain't, ain't none of us, you know, got it all figured out right now. But y'all, y'all remember when you just, you, you thought you knew something. And most of us that are parents, we find, we find it through our kids that we think we know something. And then our kids come in. I was listening to some parents talk the other day and they were talking about their kids. Their kids are in high school now and they're learning all this new stuff. And their kids came home, mom, you told us this. That's not true. They're all upset about it because... All of us get it wrong from time to time, don't we? You ever had a, a person that you, you just, you knew them and you knew about them, but you just had the wrong image of them? You know, you thought that they were something, but they really weren't that. They were something totally different. And when you came to actually get to know them, you got to know a whole lot different person than you thought you knew when you thought you knew them. That ever happened to you? I don't think it happens in any more visible way than in middle school. (laughs) I really don't. Um, I'm going to show you this video. All right. This is a video from a sixth grade talent show. And this little boy is a sixth grader. Covers the Lady Gaga song. Now, I don't want you to watch him. He does a great job. But right above him, almost to the right. There's a little blonde-headed girl. And you watch in a minute and a half, you will get to see this girl fall in love with that boy because he is not the person that she thought he was. Watch this with me. And you know what? It's my prayer that as we spend a few moments with Jesus out of John 11 today, that we get to know Jesus in a little bit different way than maybe we knew him when we walked in. You see, we get confused about who Jesus is. As much as we get confused about things in life and about people and about relationships, we also in the same context get confused about what the message of Jesus is. We get confused about what the good news is. The term gospel that you've heard thrown around so much that over the years we've said that guy is a gospel preacher or that is a gospel church. The the term gospel just simply refers to the good news of Jesus. It literally is translated good news. And and we get a little confused as to what that good news is from time to time. The first thing you notice today is this, that the good news of the cross and the resurrection, the good news that we can take from the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is this, that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's the invitation of the good news of Jesus is that we can come to know him as the Lord of our life. He has triumphed over death. He has walked out of a tomb, leaving death behind it, and he has overcome sin as God poured out the wrath of all of our failure on him. And so Jesus 
can be Lord of our lives. He can lead me, guide me, direct me, order my steps because he is the ultimate victor. And he is Savior because he has done the work. I will never be able to do that work. But many of us have been told this about the good news. We've been told that the good news is this, that if you choose Jesus, everything will get better. And that gets packaged in different ways, that if you choose Jesus, your finances will get better. You don't have to watch TBN too long before that message emerges in somebody. We even at sometimes have thought that if I choose Jesus, my life is going to get better. My relationships are going to get better. The people around me are going to get better. Everything that's happening inside of me emotionally is all going to get better. But we neglect to realize that many of us have been walking the wrong direction in the pool creating momentum in our lives that is going the wrong direction. And when we make that right decision to turn around and choose Jesus, the current is flowing against us. We live in a world that doesn't want us to follow Jesus, that is chose the opposite direction. So not only is there personal current, but there's current in our world and in our culture that's flowing against me. And if I were going to tell you something that would be freeing for you, it would be this, that resistance is more of a sign that you're following Jesus than peace. Resistance is more of a sign that you've chose to follow Jesus than peace. We all long for comfort and peace, just like the prophet Jonah who God called to go to a people that he didn't like, a culture that he didn't like, a race that he was prejudiced against. And so Jonah made a decision to get on a boat and go literally the opposite direction. And when we find Jonah on that boat, when this storm begins to emerge, guess what he's doing? He's sleeping. You see, peace isn't always a sign that we're smack dab in the middle of God's will. Peace is found in Jesus, all right? Not in my circumstances, all right? So even in the middle of resistance, I find peace because he is my prince of peace. The reason that this is so very important is because if Jesus isn't our Savior, if he isn't our Lord, if we haven't accepted that that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that he can be our Savior and our Lord, and those two things are not inseparable. You see, when I was a kid, I used to think that Jesus wanted to change where I went when I died. That was what I knew of the gospel, but that's not the whole story. Jesus wants to change you. Not just where you're going. And so if Jesus isn't our Lord and Savior, what happens is something 
will emerge in our life that will become our Savior. The next thing in your notes is is this statement, that in the absence of a significant relationship with Jesus, we will create functional saviors. We will create in our lives functional saviors. And the saddest thing about the world that we live in is we have enabled ourselves because we have such proximity to so many different things to create so many things in our lives to become a functional savior. A savior is something that I have devoted my life to that is Lord in my life, that is telling me what to do, that I look to when I'm in the middle of resistance, that I am expecting to save me, that I'm, I'm expecting this thing, this person to be the one that when I get into a circumstance that is literally impossible, that's where I look. And folks, let me tell you something. If we believe in Jesus and we're not believing him for something that literally is impossible, where's our faith? Because if you would have told me a year ago, that we would be sitting here right now and all y'all would be in them seats, I would have looked at you and said, y'all crazy. There's no way we can do this in Albemarle, but somehow God showed up and this is what happens when God shows up. Right? And so, whatever is that thing. So let's look at, and this is just, if I were you, I'd jot this stuff down in my notes. The first thing that we make a functional savior in our life is a relationship, a friend or a family member. This is the relationship that displaces Jesus off the top rung in our life. It is the person that when something breaks, I don't feel better unless I have a conversation with them. It's, it's that person that I can't make a decision unless I get their input on this. It's the person that is really in life the person that supplies the most ultimate joy that I experience on earth. You see, because all those things that I just mentioned should be Jesus. When something breaks, I should go to him first. The greatest joy that I experience in life should be him. And if there's a person that has displaced that, they've become a functional savior. It is the, in, in our specific culture, okay, especially locally, there's, there's two things that typically get in that category, maybe, maybe a third. The, the first one is husband and wife, all right? It is really easy for a husband or a wife to create a functional savior out of their spouse. It's easy to do that, and it's even easier as a parent to do it with your kids, Okay, we live in this weird era when all of a sudden kids are the center of the home. 
Right? It's not dad's the center or mom and dad are the center. Now, now we're all rotating, revolving around the kids, running, chasing them, doing everything they want to do. Right? And parents will say this stuff, and you'll hear this at the ball fields, and that I'll do whatever it takes for them. They're the greatest part of my life. And believe me, children are gifts. I mean, we, we got one little one that I love to death. She said, I love you, Daddy, this week. Let me, I mean, just like everything inside of me melted and exploded all at the same time. And she knows, like, when she said it, I had this thought, I want to go buy you something right now. <laughs> That's what I thought in the back of my mind. You know, and, and that's, but that, that's the world, that's the, the culture that we live in. And, and, and it's so easy even to do this with people. Those of you that live in high cultures of friends, I have good friends and I spend a lot of time. It's really easy to do that with a friend as well. It's to create a functional savior out of a friend. And those relationships displace Jesus off the top rung. Functional Savior number two is our work. I've talked a lot about this recently and just not to hammer the point that we can look at our job situation, our financial situation, all of those things in a way where we say that is what is supplying my life. I'm set now because I've got enough money in the bank. I'm set now because I have the right job and it provides enough money for my family not to have to worry financially. And in the last few years, we've seen those guys lose their jobs. Men who have been devoted to a company for 30 years, the company decides to downsize and gets rid of them. And these guys, I have seen them living in half-million-dollar homes, spent 30 years working for the same company, have to go to work, doing hourly manual labor because they couldn't do anything else. They had given their life to that place. And they thought everything was going to be okay because I'm set up because this place is taking care of me. Can I tell you something that most of us, this is based on a study that was done by an organization out of California. Most of us are really one bad mistake from losing our job. All right? And that's just common sense, right? But most of us feel really secure in that place. But if we let our security be found in a job or in a financial situation instead of in Jesus, that thing all of a, come, all of a sudden becomes a savior. And you know what I'll do? I'll sacrifice for it. Right? I'll give it more time. Why? Because it's saving, not Jesus. It's not about Jesus. Jesus didn't give me this job. No, no, this is all about me keeping this job. And so when they tell me that my work week's going to go from 40 to 55 hours, you know what? That's okay. I just won't be at my kids' games anymore. Because it is Savior, not Jesus. And the last thing that we make into a functional Savior is ourself. It's just simply ourself. 
that the highest level of gratitude in life is me being happy. And that is the ugliest, grossest way to live. When we get to the point where everyone else is simply a tool to impact and shape my life and to feed me, feed me, feed me. Every other person becomes the giving tree and we just let them continue to chop themselves up and give and give and give and we're quite content just to receive and to receive and to receive. You see, this is subtle because when we read the Bible, we can read the Bible and see that that Jesus loves us and he wants to take care of us and he wants, he does want good things for us. But when we start taking the reins and trying to make those good things happen, we've put ourselves in a bad position. I do think that that is one of the most dangerous things for us. Let's take a moment and look at the first one. The, the first one is where a relationship has elevated itself to, a, to becoming a functional savior. And for most of us in lives, it, some of the greatest joy and greatest pain will originate out of relationships. And the tough thing to talk about when we start to talk about relationships is the fact that we need them. God designed this whole life to be lived in a way where we live it with people. And so because we need people, relationships are going to be a part of this. But there can be an unhealthy tension in our relationships And that is this, what others want from me and what I want from them. What others want from me and what I want from them. I'm going to read out of John 11. If you have your Bibles, we're really just going to skip through uh, John 11 as we read through. And then I'm going to come back and break down some stuff and show you a few things just as we get ready to wrap this up. John 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on our Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. Skipping ahead to verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But no, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. But he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives 
believes and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I'll skip ahead just quickly to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and said, where have you laid him? Yes. Now, like to take a moment and to go back through these things. I just told you that there's a tension that's between what I people are expecting from me and what I expect from people that exist in relationships. Now here's the problem with the word tension. A tension is a problem that cannot be solved. All right? There are problems that have definitive solutions, but there are tensions in life that do not. All right? How do you devote enough time to work and to family? How, how do I spend enough time taking care of my kids, playing with my kids, and also doing the things in our home that I need to to take care of our home? All of that stuff is a tension. It does not have a definitive answer. And so there is this tension between what people expect from me and what I expect from them. And the first thing that we see in this verse that is very important to understand is that Jesus loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He's in love with these people. Now, these aren't family. They're not even, as we read through Scripture, they're not identified as uh, the the connected to the disciples relationally. These are people, these are Jesus' friends. And he loves them. And he cares about them. But the sisters send word to Jesus that their brother, his friend, is dying. The God of the universe learns that his friend is dying and he chooses to wait before he leaves to go see them. He doesn't rush immediately. And for those of you that are living in the tension between what God has promised you and what has not yet happened, realize that God is not always concerned about making things happen immediately because it is in those moments that he gets to reveal himself. And so Jesus leaves to go see them after a few days. In that time period, we find out that Lazarus has now died. And he tells Martha this in verse 4, this will not end in death. This is not the end. It's not going to be over. If he's dead, it's not the end. There's a greater story at work here. But what I find very interesting is that as soon as Jesus shows up, the sisters, both Martha and Mary, say the same thing to him. If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. If you would have been right here, he would not have died. And you know what? We all do that to Jesus. We all tell him, God, I have a better plan than yours. You see, my plan is that you should have come when I sent for you. 
Because if you would have done that, Lazarus would not have died. But that's not at all what Jesus did. You see, there is, this is in your notes, there is a tomb in the tensions between others and you. If you choose to live your life according to others' expectations, what people expect out of you, all you're going to do is to take people and elevate them to the purpose of Savior in your life. That's all that you're doing. And you will run around trying to please people who will never be pleased. Because we see that even in the midst of a friendship that perfect God incarnate into humanity experienced, that here's someone saying, well, you should have done this. You should have been here. Really? Told, you just told Jesus you think he's the Messiah, but you just told him what he should have done. That doesn't make any sense. But if we live life according to our expectations, all that we've done is become our own functional savior. You see, there's an identity issue here. Identity is a key issue in Friendship. Let's look at this verse, verse 4. This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. What we find in this moment as we watch Jesus navigate the tension that's at work between Martha and Mary and himself is one extremely simple key principle that will set us free in relationships and keep them from becoming tombs in our lives. It's this, that Jesus finds his identity in the Father and defines what is right according to the Father's will. You know what? I know that you want me to come now, but God doesn't want me to come now. And I can see what's happening. I can see that he's probably going to die before I get there. But I can tell you this, that what's happening is that God has at work right now a plan that's going to take his son. See, he doesn't even use his name. He identifies himself as God's son. That God is going to take his son and exalt him. I can see that. Jesus even communicates that because that's what's happening. And that's why when he shows up, he is free to love them and to be moved by the mourning that he sees in their lives. But how many of us have let what other people expect out of us define our relationship with them? And how many of us have called somebody a bad friend because they won't do what I expect them to do? Because they should do this or they shouldn't. No, you know what? The only way to have a good friendship is to let God's will be the center of it. And we see that in this moment. Because Jesus' identity is completely wrapped up in the Father. And he is wholeheartedly devoted 
to making sure that the Father's will becomes a part of his relationships with others. So today as we get ready to close, where are you finding your identity? Where are you finding your identity right now? Mom, is your identity, hey, you know, my name's Sherry, but I'm a, I'm a mom. I have three kids. Is that, is that where you've placed your identity? Is your identity, you know what? I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so-and-so. I go, I go to Vortex and I, I volunteer. Is your identity, yeah, yeah, my name, my name is, is Sam. That's, that's my wife, Amanda. I love her. She's awesome. I'm a school teacher. I'm a fireman. I work at this place in Charlotte. Where is your identity? Because it is a critical issue in every relationship that you'll have. And if you don't find your identity centrally and solely in Jesus, you will allow the things that define what your identity is to become a functional Savior. But somehow... When we allow Jesus to become our complete identity and we abandon ourselves to God's will, God sets us free to experience him in a way that makes sense, in a way that is freeing, in a way that allows us to look at somebody that expects way too much from us and say, you know what, I love you. I'm so sorry you're going through this and I'm glad that God sent me here in this moment to be here right now. You see, when we do that, that relationship can bring life, but if we don't, it will become a tomb that traps us in death. See, Jesus has given us the pattern to live in life-giving relationships when we place him at the center. Let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for the reality that we can know you, that we can be known by you, that we can know you as you tell us in the gospel of John, that we can know you as a friend. And God, I thank you that even when you came to earth, that you encountered people with love and care and affection, that you knew people as friends. And so God, it is our desire to replicate that in our lives and to live as people who love other people and have great friendships. But God, we know that we can't do that unless it's your will at the center of what we're doing. And so God, it is our purpose and our plan today to Abandon the things that we have created, the agendas that we've written, the thoughts that we've done to elevate somebody or even ourselves to the top and put ourselves on the throne or somebody else on the throne. God, we just want to put you on the throne and be able to honestly say, you know what? I'm doing what you've asked me to do. To be able to look into your heart and to know you as Lord and Savior. So God, thank you 
Thank you that today, that even for those of us that have blown it, messed it up, lost it, that somehow through your grace, that right now, in this moment, that there can be a brand new line drawn. And God, that we can walk out of here with the freedom to actually know you, to be known by you, and to live out your will in our relationships. So with nobody looking around, just every eye closed, just be still for a moment. Let me ask you a question today. You can't do this if you're not following Jesus. There's no way for me to walk out of here and live in a relationship without disrupting that relationship if I'm not following Jesus, I can't make Jesus the center of a relationship when he's not the center of my life. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I recognize that perhaps I've made something that is not Jesus the Savior in my life. Maybe I've made my kids that, maybe a spouse, maybe a friend. Maybe I've just blown it and I know Jesus loves me and I know he wants me, but I've just been running from that. If that's you and you just say, hey, you know what, today I just want to get that right because I want to walk out of here in the freedom that God has given us to experience relationships in a positive way and to encounter and to follow Jesus as we go through life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? All right, I see those. That's awesome. Is there anybody else that would say, you know what, I just really, I just need to get that right today? Is there anybody else? That's good. That's good. Well, let me pray for you guys. God, thank you so much for reaching down and touching hearts today. God, thank you for visiting and speaking to us. And thank you for challenging us to to place you at the center of our relationships that we could know that in your will that we have freedom to be exactly who you've called us to be and to escape the desires and pressures that come from other people and what they would expect or even what we would expect from them. So God, release us as we go out of this place as we kind of take this and absorb it to do that for your good, for your glory, and for your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.